Live from Perth, Australia, and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show with your host, Oren McCory. The O Show is a no-nonsense podcast bringing you the best advice on training, mindset, and nutrition to supercharge your efforts in the gym, the kitchen, and most importantly, in your head. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, guys, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to today's episode of The O Show. I'm your host, Oren McCarry, and today I have on special guest, Dean McKillop. Dean, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you for having me on, or now that I know how to uh, pronounce your name, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we, we had to clarify that before we jumped on. Uh, Instagram doesn't make it easy to um, to work this out. You know, I actually used to have in my bio, instead of saying like coach, which transforms people's lives or whatever, I used to have pronounced O-R-I-N. <laughs> you need to have like the phonetic part inside brackets or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to have that and then I was like, oh, that doesn't really look professional. So I was just like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> It's still better than just calling yourself Orange, you know, just to get the closest proximity to what your name is yep. without the D and the H. Well, yeah, ah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, yeah. it's good to have you on the podcast. Obviously, we connected a while ago. You contributed an article to the Australia Unites ebook that we did at the start of 2020. Now, it seems like ages ago, but um, I've been following your progress. Obviously, you're one of Australia's top coaches, in my opinion, and one of the top bodybuilders. And you do some awesome work for your clients. You put out a great podcast. So I thought it'd be a great episode to get you jumping on and talking about the kind of work you do. And I think we're going to decide we're going to talk a bit about off seasons because you're just coming off the back of a very successful off season and getting ready to diet for a show later in the year, I think. So we can, um, we can dive into that and just give some good value to the listeners today. Sounds good to me, man. It's been a painful off season. So on. Actually, it's been the first off season, if I'm honest. Right. Okay. Let's talk about that. I um, I've always joked and called myself a hobby builder. <laughs> I, I've, I've never been prepared to call myself a bodybuilder because, like, I started out lifting because I enjoyed. Actually, I started out lifting because I was finishing my degree, um, at in UK, at UQ here in Queensland, and I was going from being a soccer player wanting to play professional football, at the age of you know 16 through 20, to then giving up on that and going, oh, I need to go to union and learn some shit so I don't become a landscaper because it, I did that for a few months to make some money and hated it, right? Okay, yeah. I sound like a princess. I am. <laughs> um, and um, so I was finishing my degree and we had to do prac hours, right? And we could either go into like the clinical setting and do musculoskeletal rehab and like all of this sort of stuff, or you could just be like a straight up exercise scientist instead of exercise physiologist. And um, that meant you could do your 400 hours wherever you wanted. And I was like, sweet, lock me in on strength and conditioning. That's what I want to do. You know? Yeah. So I got, I got lucky and got a gig at the Brisbane Broncos, which is an NRL professional rugby league team. And um, I was like, man, I'm, a, I'm like 75 kilos and skinny. There's no way these guys are going to take me seriously if I'm trying to tell them how to lift weights. Yeah. So I should probably pull my finger out and like have a crack at that. So I quit soccer and then gave myself, I think like four months or something like that before I was about to go for crack and just ate, ate and trained myself as much as I could. Put on a bunch of weight. I think I put on like 13 kilos. Nice. in that three months and then um that's how the sort of strength and conditioning and training and my interest around pro- periodizing and programming for groups and um ever since then i kind of just trained for fun right and then it was only one of those things like coming back from a competitive background 
training was fun, but then I thought like training requires a purpose and that purpose for me should be to compete in something. Mm-hmm. And I fell in through the bodybuilding cracks through like different people. And my missus, who's now my wife at the time was like, just fucking have a go, mate. Like stop talking about it. Yeah. So I competed, you know, and that was back in 2014. And I kind of enjoyed it, but I thought, oh, that takes a lot out of your life. So then I just went back to training for fun. And then I think it was maybe like, I'm going to say like 35 or 30 weeks out from the 2018 shows. And I was currently getting mentorship from Broderick Chavez, um, who's really well known in the pharmacological space in America. And he was like, you going to do a prep with me or what? And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you, can, you can do my, um, you know, my, my pharmacy side of things. And um, it's like, fuck it, I'll do it again. So like between 2014... Oh, and when I decided to prep for the first show, it was like 20 weeks out. And I was like, oh, I better start eating and training like properly, properly, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that was like a 20-week prep, including a, a growth phase of all the four weeks. <laughs> and then the 2018 show was like maybe like eight weeks of growing, followed by like mm-hmm. 16 weeks of dieting. And then ever since then, up until now, previous to this off-season off that I've just done, I've always just trained for fun, but never fully taken it seriously. Yeah. Whereas this has been a dedicated 25 weeks of relentless consistency so up until now i'd call myself a bodybuilder for this season but up until yeah. now i've called myself a hobby builder for that very reason and i really only turn it on around prep time yeah okay mm. so in terms of this first run as a bodybuilder what what have you accomplished in that 25 week period where did you start and where have you ended up now yeah so for some context like last prep i started prep at 97 kilos got up to about 102 or 103, I think, in that little eight-week push or whatever it was, and then competed at 89. And then this prep, I started at 101, but that was after recomping back on 10 kilos from COVID. Because when COVID hit, I was kind of looking for an excuse not to train. Yep. I didn't train for eight weeks, pretty much. Um, was very lazy with my supplementation, barely eight. I ended up getting down to 91 and a half kilos. <laughs> right, Okay. And uh, my watch was loose and my wedding ring was real loose. And I was like, oh, this is embarrassing, you know? And yeah. um, so then, sorry, if people are watching on YouTube, there's something in my eye all of a sudden. Um, so I recomped 10, 10 kilos back on and then I joined up with my coach, Joe Jeffries from the UK. And I went from, I've gone from 100 and a half to 113 and a half in the last 26 nice. weeks. Yeah. Nice. That's solid, man. That's solid. Mm. And what is it like in terms of the difference in, what you've done before to now, what are the sort of, what's led to that 13 kilo gain there? And in all honesty, it's probably just been the first time that I've trained and eaten as equally like intently mm-hmm. as I have in a prep in an off season. Yeah. So like the reason why I joined up with Joe is because I was training three to four times per week. I was finding excuses to miss sessions because I'd rather work and look after clients you know, I'd eat sometimes 2,000 calories, sometimes three and a half thousand. And I was just kind of floating around just like in no man's land. And then I'd, I've always said I, I may compete again. I've never said I'll definitely will. And then, but I knew that like being 89 and a bit last time, that if I was to compete again, that um, I had to be heavier than what I was to start with. So I had to be heavier than 105 and I needed to then go into the under 100s, which means I'm going to make some kilos up real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why I'd kind of taken it lackadaisy for years is because I knew that for me to compete in the under 100s, I really need to be greater than 110 in pretty good shape in order to come in at like 95 plus. And I knew that was going to take some consistent effort. Um, and I've, I've never liked bodybuilding interfering with my life, except for mm-hmm. prep. Um, like I've just not been prepared to give up 
some of the niceties of like being lazy or being lax, lax on it. Um, so this time it's just literally, man, I, I joined up with Joe and I've eaten pretty much give or take probably 80% the same food for 26 weeks. I've trained every week, five days a week, no question. I've progressed everything as much as I possibly can. I've been just on it, man, like as much as I could. And, and lo and behold, here I am at the weight category that I need to be. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just one of those things, man. It, it takes a lot of consistent, relentless consistency to use that word twice. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of like what you've achieved and everything that's within it, now obviously you're like a successful coach over here yourself. And I think what holds a lot of people back with an off season is there sign up with people for preps or for a diet for a holiday or whatever it is, depending on what their goal is. But then they just say, oh, I'll go and do my own thing for off season or now that I've achieved this look that I'm happy with. You're obviously a respected coach yourself. What made you seek out another coach to help you go to that next level? Can you talk about that decision process a bit? The biggest thing for me was, um, so when I did my first prep, I had a, a friend that overlooked it. I wouldn't say he coached me in hindsight. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, funnily enough, it actually probably helped me start my business or our business, I should say with Liz and I, because um, I started building sheets and tracking data and stuff like that because he had none of it. <laughs> yeah, okay. He's like, a really terrible coach, but had good information, you know? Yeah. Um, so for me now, I, was like, I just really wanted to be able to like trust and divorce myself from the process. Yeah. Um, I'm like very internally motivated or intrinsically motivated, but I also uh, find it very difficult to let people down that I respect. Mm -hmm. So I knew once that I pulled the trigger and went, oh, I'm going to go to this guy and I'm going to get him to do my stuff that I'd just flip, flip the switch and basically go for it. Yeah. Um, and, and really what I needed at that time was the accountability and the trust in somebody that would just say, do this so that I could just implement without having to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, like I did my own prep last time. I actually didn't find it that difficult from, a, from an organizational perspective. Yeah. Uh, but off season has probably been harder for me because I'm naturally not a, um, a big eater. I don't get fat very easy. And I think that sort of ties into the fact that I've just always been uh, very active and eating fairly well as a kid. So I knew it was going to take someone to basically push me to get uncomfortable or be comfortable with un being uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. It was mainly accountability. Uh, and then also Joe's got a tremendous amount of knowledge that I wanted to learn from. So I was interested to see how somebody else did it. Like you said, like I coach people myself and we obviously, we often, especially when you get good at it uh, and then people in your service, you often get a biased self-selection of people that are very like-minded to you that already like what you say and will do what you say. So you yeah. can somewhat become a worse coach over time. Yeah, okay. Um, or a less developed coach maybe, or a less well-rounded coach, unless you seek education, which I do. Yeah. But I think it's really easy for people to get become worse. And uh, I just was interested to see how other people do it. Um, yeah, nice. Okay. So, hmm. so you've put your trust in another coach and that's resulted in actually hitting the numbers that you've gone, that you wanted to hit. Now, when you started the process, did you think that this was possible this time around or did you think, oh, you might get uh, close to it, but maybe not hit that sort of 110 to 115 that you were talking about? I thought I'd hit 110. Um, I'm very surprised I made it to 114 and a half momentarily. So I'll call it 113 and a half because that's kind of my average. It was 113.7. Yep. Um, I'm surprised I hit that without accumulating more fat than I, than I did. Yeah. So that's probably what surprised me. Um, but this will sound a bit, bit dicky, but, um, 
because I've never fully applied myself in the off season, but I know what I'm capable of. I, I was going in with it knowing that I probably had the potential to push to it. I just mm-hmm. wasn't sure how uncomfortable it was going to get. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how uncomfortable did it get? Like you said, you're not a big eater. How high did calories end up having to be pushed? Uh, I'm still on the highest now. They'll probably hold for another week or so just to sort of settle in on this weight. Um, but it was 5,900 calories, 1,000 grams carbs, 300 grams of protein, 70 grams of fat. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's big numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And like the thing that's um, uh, been a validation, I think, of thoughts that I've had in the past, because I've never pushed food before, but I've made people push food. Yeah. Like I've pushed people up in the vicinity of 1,250 grams of carbs a day is the uh, is that um it's still possible to eat an abundance of fruit and vegetables and if if anything it probably makes the process of digestion better and easier to get more food in whereas mm-hmm. i think there's a misconception that when people's calories rise they tend to go for more energy dense foods thinking like you know less volume of food easy to get it in yeah but in doing so they remove a whole bunch of an abundance of of plant based fiber that keeps gastric motility consistent yeah so then they they're forever full but they also don't get clearance whereas mm-hmm. Like I eat, get clearance and then eat again. I'm always full, but I'm always getting clearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I still, man, even now, like today's food, because I eat pretty much the same thing every day. It's like 700 grams of fruit and 750 grams of vegetables a day. Wow, okay. That's big so numbers, man. There's still one and a half kilos of plant matter going in on top to hit that carbs. Yeah. Um, and like the only super, super simple, I have like 40 grams of carbs in one drink, 50 in the intra, and then honey. Yeah. The rest of it's basically rice. Right, cereal. okay, yep. Yeah. How has that made it with trying to fit in a lot of your calories from like one food source like rice like that? Have you found you've got quite sick of it or do you just enjoy eating rice? Uh, we've sort of slowly phased it, you know, like, um, but I find I find rice super palatable and really easy to mm-hmm. digest. Um, yeah. So for me, I, I'm quite okay with it. Um, I use a bit of cereal too, though, like 250 grams of cereal in that. And then one meal is a rice flour meal. So it's more like cream of rice. Yeah. Um, so, and I think like, you know, like one meal is rice and then the second meal is rice, but slightly different food. So it tastes a bit different Then it's yeah. cereal. Then it's like a meat and rice and then it's back to a rice flour. So it's kind of always interchanged. So it doesn't seem like it's the same thing all the time. Okay. Yeah. I got you. I got you. And then in terms of cereal, what's your go-to cereal of choice? This is one that <laughs> I wanted to ask you coming on here. Cause I remember seeing you, out for a hike or somewhere up in the in the forest with Lizzie and you had your Ziploc bag of cereal and you were sure still did. getting it in. Yeah, that was um that was honey Cheerios mixed with Nesquik cocoa bomb type things. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I honestly just picked the one that's like the lowest fat, the highest carb and the best price. Yep. That's but far. Hit, but ne- the Nesquik one was recently 50% off. So my missus bought like seven boxes. Oh, nice. So I've just been running chocolate Nesquik cereal for the last month and a half or so. Yeah, nice. And then yeah. if, do you have a number in terms of when you said low fat? Is there a number that you'd like to keep it under for that portion that you're going for? Uh, as a coach, I typ- typically keep people around 0.7 uh, grams per kilogram of body weight. Yeah. I'll have an allowance of up to one gram per kilogram if they're really struggling with food volume. Um, but that's roughly my number, usually like 0.7, which works out to be similar for me right now. Yeah. Um, I've actually never asked Joe why he goes for that number, uh, but I would imagine it's probably a fairly similar, similar uh, right reason. Yeah. Okay, we, co- yeah. we cover all those bases of like, you know, like getting in an abundance of polyunsaturated fats and some fish oils and he likes salmon. I don't. So then I like supplement up my fish oil 
Um, and then once you've done those sort of essential fats, like the rest of it's really palatability. It's not really uh, physiologically beneficial as, as far as you ask me. Yeah. And then with yourself and then separate question with clients, do you believe in nutrient timing and like keeping carbs and fats separate or do you just let clients sort of do what fits their lifestyle or what's your own thoughts on that? For the most part, I'd say fit the lifestyle. Um, I think as food availability goes up, the necessity for timing goes down. Yeah. Because you're just kind of always in a, in a constant state of being somewhat fed. Yeah. Um, I have no issue with fats and carbs going in the same meal whatsoever, unless for whatever reason you're trying to drive carbohydrates in for, you know, glycogen reuptake post-workout at speed for a particular athletic goal. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't have those people. So um, no issue with combining those. Um, as, as a general rule, no. Like the only time I'll start to time food specifically will be like in a peak week, if they're going to train, I want them to get a certain amount of carbs in post-workout to, to maximize that reuptake, like I mentioned before. Um, if somebody's very low calories and we're trying to drive performance, then there'd be some carbohydrates pre. Um, and then the other one would be is... Um, as volume and training demands rise, I, I typically will start to add like an intra just to maintain performance because I mean, there's an abundance of literature on something that's both calorific and sweet, improving strength and repeat performance, repeat bound performance stuff. So, but from a food perspective, not so much, man. Yeah. Cool. So you don't have any parameters in terms of like post-workout with most of your clients then in terms of you know, try to keep your fat under this amount for this meal. Cause I know it's quite popular, but most coaches sit either one side of the fence, right? Where it's do what you want, what suits you. And then some people are like, nah, you need to keep them separate. I've never told anyone not to have fat in a meal. I don't think specifically um, by, by default, if I'm like teaching people as I coach them, they probably like work towards having an abundance of carbohydrates with a very low fat content in the post-workout meal. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's typically easier to digest that food post-training. And yeah. then we want that to clear so that they can then get another meal in. Um, and I might say start to put fats earlier in the day if the carbohydrate load isn't as high. Uh, but no, most of the time, man, it's honestly just personal preference. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. And do you have any other sort of nutritional strategies, and particularly with the off-season, since that's what we're talking about, like, to make food easier. So say for example, you put the client, I think you said you pushed as high as 1250 grams of carbs. Mm. How do you make that easy for the client? Cause that's a number that a lot of people, you give somebody 500 grams of carbs, they'll probably struggle, Never mind 1250. So what's your thoughts or different strategies on getting carbs that high? And it's funny you said 500 because I was watching a Fuad Abiyad podcast just before. And um, he said something like that. So like, if you get to 500, is that when you start to consider putting in liquids? I was like, what the hell, man? 500 is nothing, especially for a guy of your size. <laughs> um, but as for strategies, I think we can reverse engineer the like coin termed by Renaissance periodization, which is the hedonic staircase, which essentially says like, as calories get lower, make your food less palatable mm-hmm. in order to make it sort of a little bit more boring to drive down some of that sort of uh, like... Uh, more hedonic sort of reward seeking behavior based eating. So where you're seeking flavor and fleeting happiness in a time yeah. when you're otherwise not that happy. Um, and then in, in inverse to that, the more palatable, typically it easy is to get food in. Um, and then we can also look at like food science and see how they've made it abundantly possible for people to eat large quantities of food without stopping. So like mm-hmm. take Doritos, for example, <laughs> like they're, they're famous for creating the bliss point. 
which is essentially a point where the crunchiness, the saltiness, the fattiness, and the carbiness are so blissful that you essentially shut down that natural feedback loop that says I'm hungry and satisfied. So you just keep putting your hand back in the bag, right? Yeah. Um, and if we think about like what all this does, like if you were to get a meal and you say like, how can I make this meal the most calorific with the least amount of problem? We still want micronutrient density. So we still want some vegetables in there also for the point of some fibrous material. Then we want something that's like non-fibrous and like really easy to pass digestion. That's like white rice. Mm-hmm. Um, we, have to have, we have to have protein. If you really wanted to say like, what's the best, most uh, easily, excuse me, digestible, it would be like a ground meat. So like mince, because mm-hmm. it's kind of already beaten that process of yep. chewing. So we don't have to worry about the people that just aren't chewing their food enough, which is another strategy that they need to do. And then can we make it multi-sensory and multi-palatable? You know, like, like palate sensory that is. So have something that's like say salty and savory. So it might be like rice with vegetables and soy sauce. Mm-hmm. And then finish with something that's got some, if finish with something sweet. So that might be like a drink or some fruit um, or even like a, an LCM bar or something like that. Mm-hmm. And can you also add some crunch somewhere in there that makes it a little bit nicer, but that could be your vegetables. It could be something else. You know, you can pick or choose, but if you, if you go multi-sensory like that, it's like the dessert stomach concept, right? Like you eat your dinner, you're like, yeah. like painfully full. Yeah. And then there's this other stomach that somehow fits in soft, delicious, fatty ice cream. <laughs> yeah, <right>? absolutely. <laughs> so we can sort of take that and like, all right, how can we make that? That's how I typically will set people's food up. It's like, here's your savory meal. We're going to get the most of our calories out of that. We're not going to give up on, on fruits, uh, on vegetables, but then let's like shift it. So you might move it into then having say like a small bowl of yogurt with some granola or dried fruit in it. Yeah. Like two meals in one, so much easier to eat. Um, one thing I think actually a lot of people fuck up though is grazing. Although some yeah. people find this easier. So I will, I will asterisk it and say, if you find grazing easier, go for it. But grazing never gives your stomach the opportunity to pass food mm-hmm. so that you can then start that digestive process again. Um, and I find you're better off to eat a larger bolus because larger boluses also typically uh, end up with faster gastric emptying too. Mm-hmm. So we actually want to have like a full stomach that empties quicker as opposed to having a moderately full stomach for the entirety of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, another perfect addition, man, is honestly like peckish crackers on top of a normal meal because they're crunchy and salty as well. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. And they're tasty as hell, yeah. Tasty as hell. And they're energy dense too. Yeah. You know, it's another like you do in, again, the savory rice bowl and then you have rice crackers on the side with jam or honey. Yeah. So easy to get that in. Yeah. Um, so multi-sensory is probably the best thing to do, I think. Okay, mm. cool. That's... That's something that nobody on this podcast has ever brought up before about, you know, all the different elements that goes into making a meal actually fucking really tasty and really desirable. Cause that's the thing. Whenever you're in an off season, you're eating, what did you say? 5,900 calories. Yeah. 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 Like you're going to have to make that food seem appealing. Cause even just from a digestion point of view, if it's like dried up chicken and rice all the time, you're going to, you're not going to salivate at that. And that's the first point of digestion. Right. So whereas if, I'm nearly getting, I've just ate and I'm nearly getting hungry listening to you talk about chicken, rice and veggies with soy sauce, you know? Yeah. So Yeah. Um, like it's an interesting one. I can't make my food too flavorsome from a, like a herb and garlic perspective. Yeah. When I do that, it's too much, man. It's like going to a restaurant for every meal and like, yeah, that gets sickening. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, you can still pick and choose. Like one of my meals is fairly boring, but it has elements that makes it easier. So it's like rice and chicken with carrot and, and beetroot. Yeah. And then I have, but then I have like a raspberry cordial on the side and then I have fruit. So like yeah. the element of the meal itself is actually kind of boring, but I put salt mm-hmm. on it. Um, 
but it's it's a breakup because it's like salty rice with salty chicken and then there's an occasional sweet bit of beetroot. Yeah. And I and I snack on the carrot while I make it all so that I don't have to worry about that. So it doesn't yeah, really feel okay. like it's part of the meal. And then yeah. I just sit back and enjoy the drink and eat some fruit. It's like not that hard. Yeah, fair enough. You know? That sounds yeah. pretty good, man. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and then with that kilo and a half of fruit and veggies, mate, let's some people will be sitting thinking, how the fuck is he getting that amount of the fruit and veggies in? So let's talk through I think it was 700 grams of fruit and 750 grams of veggies. Yeah. Well, what way would that be sort of spread out over the day or what's what's your typical food choices to me hit those numbers? Yeah. So like breakfast is essentially just like um, fried rice, realistically. Mm. It's chicken, eggs, mushrooms, onion, and zucchini all mixed together yeah. with olive oil. Like only 10, 15 grams of olive oil, not a lot, but that's essentially that. And then there's always a piece of fruit to finish. Yeah. And then, and then the next meal is like chicken and... Uh, uh, carrot and beetroot and then it's finished with a piece of fruit and like yeah. most of the serving sizes are somewhere around 150 grams combined of each so there's 150 food 150 of uh, veggies yeah our next meal is just cereal with banana so there's another fruit mm-hmm. and then dinner is veggies which is just rice um, and then I do like cucumber and tomato salad on the side because I find that refreshing in the heat yep um, and um, and then I finish with that with some pineapple or something like that and then before bed, it's just a bunch of fruit again. <clears throat> and that's it. That's it pretty much done, man. It's actually not that much. It's only it's like all of the all of the veggies are done in four meals. Yeah. Okay. In the last block, we pulled my veggies down by like 150 though, because I was just getting to that stage where I was like, man, this is this is getting a bit much. You're like, you know, if we're gonna pull some volume, like let's pull it out of that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. But typically, if I have people like say starting their off season, I think one of the things you that you can do is Try and build, if you're at maintenance calories and you're starting to work yourself into an off-season, you want to try and build yourself a diet that is relatively palatable with as many fruits and vegetables as you can fit in at maintenance. And then you just want to add basics, you know, and then you just keep adding basics as you go. And so long as you can retain those, then you're good to go. I think the hardest thing you can do is try and add them in on top when food is going up. But if you're going to start with abundance of them, we can always pull some away at the very end when we need to but we really want to start with the most abundantly micronutrient-dense and diverse diet as you possibly can because that will set you up for digestive health and also a whole bunch of other health markets, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and how many meals would you normally have? Did you say it was five? Yeah, five in an intra-workout carb, you know? Yeah. Most of my guys do five. I have a couple that do six. Yeah. Um, but most of them I'd rather just do like a larger, larger meal five times. Yeah. So they've at least got some time between eating because the man you got to appreciate like these meals take half an hour to eat yeah 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 you know, so, like, when it's you're a terrible high. it's a terrible business decision doing this bodybuilding thing <laughs> basically eat longer spend more time on the toilet so you can't do as you can't look after as many clients and, <laughs> and you spend more money on food it's terrible yeah yeah man it's uh i was i'm only on about i think five to five grams of carbs but I've obviously just came back from the gym and like sat down. I was like, okay, I've got about an hour and a half to Dean's podcast. Let's start making this meal. But I was like half an hour before and I was like, shit, like I've just sat here for an hour doing fucking nothing here. <laughs> like I thought I was going to get some work done before I jumped on here. But it just that doesn't happen when you've got like those big meals to make and sit and actually eat it yep. and then let it digest a little bit before you start to move around. So um man i don't know how you've hit a thousand like that's that seems alien that's numbers i've never hit but um that's it's uh, kind of like graded exposure you know know like if you're familiar with graded exposure but like you know if if you found something uncomfortable 
and you expose yourself to it in a graded fashion. So like a small bit this week and then a bit more the next week and then a bit more yeah. the next week. By the time you get to the end of that phase, e.g. the end of this growth phase, the exposure has just continually gone up linearly, you know? And then yeah. before you know it, you're like, oh, fuck, how the fuck am I doing that? So yeah, I, yeah. when I started this um, this growth phase, I think I started at 3,500 calories and about 450 carb, yep. 500 carb. Um, and I was honestly, like I would get hungrier than what I do now, but I was never actually like that hungry even at that, that amount of food because that yeah, was about yeah. my maintenance, 3,500. So it's just been that over the course of 26 weeks, we've casually added 25 or 50 grams of carbs every one to two weeks. Yeah. And then slowly but surely, it's just like, you know, like if you add 50 grams of carbs and some of that's honey and some of that's rice, it's like, it's really only this much more food, you know, or for yeah, the people yeah, that are listening, yeah. it's like a handful of food. Yeah. So then you just have a handful more and then you have a handful more and then a handful more. And then before you know, <laughs> you, you know, you've gained about 15 handfuls worth of food, but it's taking you 26 weeks to do that. Yeah. Um, whereas, and that, that is one piece of advice that is, I think, super important for people. And I'll steal this term from Broderick Chavez and he used this for drug use, which is longer, lower and slower. Um, that's, his, that's his sort of motto around how you should set up pharmacological intervention for people to try to grow using those things, right? Longer, lower, slower, it's healthier, it's more controllable. You get to the same destination, if not a better destination, you'll get there slower, but you'll probably be healthier for it, right? And mm -hmm. I think food in an off season is exactly the same. Like if you, if you pull information on the research on what you require or listen to people that in the know like Lyle McDonald on what you require to actually grow muscle tissue, it's like 150 calorie surplus. Mm -hmm. Like it's tiny, man. But the problem that people do is they want, they want to gain five kilos tomorrow. Yeah, so they yeah. go from the 3,500 and they go straight to 4,000 or 4,500. Yeah. And like there's no graded exposure in that situation whatsoever, including mm -hmm. metabolically. Like you haven't had the chance to adapt to that. So you go to a thousand calorie surplus tomorrow, how much of that can you actually accrue with muscle tissue? It's pretty small. Yeah. You know, if we've said that you only need 150 to grow tissue, then what's the other 850 doing? Yeah. Some yeah. of it's going to be burnt. Some of it's just going to turn into fat, you know? Yeah. And then you're also abundantly full because your food's gone up 30% tomorrow. But if you just bump at that 150, that 200, you accrue some tissue, you let adaptation play, then you bump at another 100, you let it tissue accrue, and you bump at another 100, you know? 20 weeks down the track, you've only gone up a thousand calories, but you've gone up a thousand calories in an adaptable way, whereby the adaptation you're actually seeking is the specific one that we're putting that demand on, which is just growth. Um, so there's less opportunity for fat gain and, and a greater opportunity for you to become like exposed to the stimulus of more food mm -hmm. and training in a manner that doesn't seem like it's that um, interruptive to your current situation. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that clearly worked, man, because you got to 114 and a half and you're very tight still, you know, with the, with the physique that you've got. You look like, you, you know, you, you're just still very solid. Like, I can't think of the word to describe it, but <laughs> you're just in fucking killer shape now for that amount of weight gain. So clearly going lower and slower for longer like that has led to a body composition that, you know, is favorable because you're, you're not just, you know, you don't have tons of abdominal fat or love handles or anything like that, which again, it's probably, do you think that's something that holds people back where they maybe jump too high with this, then they get frustrated because they have gained the fat and they don't stay there for long enough and then jump, drop back down. So like, you kind of like deteriorate in the effect of the, the off season by doing that 
yeah, you know, they, they gain 10 kilos in 10 weeks and then they're not happy with how they look or feel. Mm-hmm. He's like, you got to appreciate too, like as you gain weight, that total stress or that allostatic load on your physique rises with every bit of weight you add. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the, and if that allostatic load drives up sufficiently enough that it then starts to push blood pressure and decrease cardiorespiratory health and all the rest of it, like that 10 kilos is going to hurt, man. Yeah. Like the, the 13 kilos hurts me. Like I'm only starting to slowly adapt to it probably a little bit more this week. Like okay. whereby like my feet are always sore, my lower back was always pumped, I'm always out of breath, like that kind of shit. Yeah. But if I had to put that 13 on tomorrow, I would feel way worse and it would obviously yeah. be worse composition. But the thing that people need to appreciate is the weight that places the demand on the on the physique, not necessarily the composition. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, I know you've had Luke on here before, Luke Lehman, and him and I have like laughed and gone to town on people online about how BMI is still an effective tool to, you know, give you a relative risk for, for comorbidity around cardiorespiratory and cardiovascular health because it's it's a weight that's placed on top of the physique and it doesn't really matter where it's coming from, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I think people jump too quickly, then they get uncomfortable and then they go back and they seesaw their way to like a couple of kilo gain. Whereas if people were genuinely just willing to put in the work and let, let the results come to fruition over time, like if we're only talking, if, even if I said to you tomorrow, right? Like you can gain 200 grams a week. You're like, that's pretty shit, <laughs> but do it for 52 weeks. Yeah. Like that's 10 kilos of lean tissue. Yeah. And like who puts 10 kilos of lean tissue on in a year? Yeah. Yeah. Let's say very little people, right? Yeah. You know, um, I think that is hugely the biggest problem that a lot of people have, especially in the PED using group. Because by virtue of taking drugs, people want to be bigger than they've ever been and they want it to happen fast. So you're dealing with people that perhaps need like a little bit of psychological support for the most part, as much as they do the coaching, you know, for the physiological yeah. demands. Mm. And Dean, do you work with any females or is it mainly males you work with at the moment? Mainly meal, uh, mainly meals, mainly, that is what I do. Just mainly <laughs> meals, um, mainly males. Um, yeah. I have a few females still on my roster. Um, I quite like working with girls, but I'm, going to actually move towards just doing dudes after these yeah. girls are completed with their approaches. Yeah. And then yeah. does this differ in terms of what a female and a guy will go through in an off season? Cause obviously weight gain for a female nine times out of 10 is going to be more of an issue than a guy. Like you put 10 kilos on a guy, if he's got a little bit of a stomach and some love handles, he's not really going to occur cause he's going to feel bigger. He's going to, fill his t-shirts out a little bit better. It doesn't really affect him as much versus a woman who maybe adds, you know, four or five kilos. She might start to feel a bit, you know, chubby and like not, not herself with everything. Mm-hmm. Have you found not that? Not to mention the social pressure, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We as men get a way easier run at this in regards to gaining muscle. Uh-huh. It's acceptable for us to be fat socially, especially in the world. Like if you're talking about in the fitness world, it's even worse, you know? Uh, girls are up up against it because they're got, they've got a much harsher eye on them. However, if girls can divorce themselves from that social expectation and just hone in on what they need to achieve, mm-hmm. we'd have a lot healthier females probably competing at lot, a lot, lot of uh, with a lot better physiques in regards to like muscle over a certain amount of like skeletal, uh, you know, bone mass. Um, if they were prepared to just hold a little bit more body fat, Mm. preferentially knowing that they can perform better over time. Mm. Um, but unfortunately it's very difficult to do that. And then you got to think about too, like I said to you, 200 grams, like for a female, it might be like a hundred, it might be 50. Yeah. 
So like now we're talking about like really small numbers. So they've got to be like relentless and just okay with slowly, but surely working those calories up mm-hmm. and slowly, but surely adding that lean tissue. And it might be even longer because the availability of calories for them is lower as well. So the, the problem with that is like, you've got a female who's just on average 65 to 70 kilos and their maintenance is like 2,100. And then you put them into 22 or 2,300 because they're at 2,300 versus you and I might be like, say 4,000. Our, our availability for error in regards to calorie control gives us a greater opportunity to grow muscle tissue and get less fat. Because if we make mistakes, it doesn't have as big of a percentage, <clears throat> excuse me, as a, as a female does too. So they get double shot in the foot there. It's the same inversely for fat loss. Yeah. Their available yeah. runway to pull calories for fat loss is so fucking tiny compared yeah, to yeah. like us as men uh, or us as bigger people. It's really not sex specific. It's just size specific there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, when you've worked with females in the past or currently, what's the sort of highest numbers just to give any female listeners? Like what's, what's the highest you've seen a female be able to eat in an off season and still be able to perform and still look good at the same time? Um, like there are obviously genetic anomalies, but one of, one of my girls right now, the, I, I prefer to do calories per kilograms. I think it's more relative, right? Okay, like yeah. she's on like 430 grams of carbs a day, seven mm-hmm. days a week, no, no cycling. Uh, I will say this for, for girls that are watching social media, it's been my um, experience that a lot of calories that people discuss online, especially when they're trying to give off this elitist sort of uh, outlook that they're eating an abundance of carbohydrates, a lot of them are just talking about high days and they also have three or four low days. Yeah. Um, so it's not a consistent intake, you know, and there's this mythical sort of unicorn at the end of the runway that says, oh, look, these girls are eating 500 grams of carbs. I'm like, yeah, three days a week. Doesn't, that's not the same. Yeah. Um, but this girl, yeah, she, she does 4.30 a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but her relative calorie intake is like 44 times body weight. Wow, okay. You know, like most, most women maintain it around 30 to 35 times body weight. Yep. Most men are 35 to 40 times body weight. And she's 44 times body weight in calories. Yeah. So she's way up there, man. She's like, like 40% above the average. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I imagine she would diet on fairly similar calories in that she'll oh. be slightly higher. She won't be dieting on those calories, but like if a female might end up at say 22 to 25 times body weight at the end of a dieting phase, mm-hmm. she might end up at 30. So she'll still yeah. be the same relative percentage higher. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's fair. It just gives uh, the female, cause we obviously just spoke numbers for guys here a lot. So that gives them something to think about, but me, let's finish with, um the whole like our sort of summary so if you're going to give like three tips for maximizing your off season whether it's mental with your food with your training with hiring a coach whatever whatever aspects what would you think would be the three biggest takeaways from this all right i would say gaining muscle is slower and harder than keeping in a fat loss phase so it requires more attention than even in a prep um that's my overreaching comment because I think a lot of people take the off season a little bit lackadaisical. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they don't put on near as much tissue as what they should because mm-hmm. they think they've got an abundance of calories. Oh, I've just got to train. Like, no, 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 no. You must progress the stimulus. So that probably be the second one, you must progress the stimulus and the stimulus has to be, you've got three available vectors to you. If you are a, an enhanced athlete, you've got food, you've got training, you've got drugs. Mm-hmm. There's got to be some level of a progression so that that stimulus becomes novel to drive further adaptation. But be patient. You know, don't don't start tomorrow and go from three thousand calories to four thousand calories. 
and also don't start tomorrow doing 200 megs of test and then starting at a thousand megs tomorrow. Like that's just silly shit, you know? Um, So yeah, be patient, understand that it's harder to grow muscle. So you're going to need a longer time to grow muscle than you are to actually get it off in a fat loss phase. Mm -hmm. So if you're prepping for 20 weeks, that means you should be at least dedicating 30 plus weeks to a growth phase. Mm -hmm. And then you also need to consider health. So there might even be a period in there of two or three months where you're just sort of holding stagnant. Mm-hmm. So now if we're talking about like a growth phase followed by a fat loss phase, we're talking like 50 weeks of commitment to the first part and then 20 weeks of commitment to the second part. Mm-hmm. So we can already see that the growth part's like 66% of your time yeah. in a season for a bodybuilder versus the other. Uh, and that probably elongates even further for a natty because the adaptation's far slower. Yeah. Um, what else would I say? Um, 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 yeah, I, I actually think it's been a really good learning curve for me as an individual to eat this amount of food as opposed to just prescribe it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my experience has been really focusing on maintaining really high level micronutrient density and diversity uh, because it's for sure made the process better in regards to gastric quality and gastric digestion. Um, So don't, don't underestimate the importance of fruits and vegetables in a gaining phase as well. Everyone wants to eat an abundance of them in a fat loss phase because they're hungry. But um, don't, don't omit them too early in a, in a gaining phase because it'll cost you too. Yeah, perfect, man, perfect. And let's finish, man. I was going to bring this one up earlier, but let's talk about the highlight of your Instagram stories. Let's talk about Dean's dishwasher stacking method. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so funny. I actually, <laughs> oh, I have one more before I say this. I'll say your, your, your uh, reps in reserve that you think is a one is probably a four, so train harder. Um, that would be my other piece of advice. Yeah, my right. dishwashing stacking, mate. There's a method to every to my madness. Um, <laughs> I think I think bowls should start centrally and go laterally, and I think yep. plates should start laterally and come in centrally, um, because it makes no sense to me to have a bowl on the outside because it takes up too much space. Yeah, um, absolutely. This man, man, Liz, Liz is a terrible dishwasher stacker. <laughs> I tell her we all, all just time. like to have our own little methods, right? Or the way we like to do it. And if anyone fucks with that, it's well, man, I it's set trouble. the fridge up a certain way. I'm, I'm a bit of a weirdo, man. I used to block and so I used to work in the supplement industry, and it was important you would block and face the supplements, right? Like so they had to yeah. face forward the label. And man, I fucking used to block and face my spice rack alpha, alphabetically. Yep, that's nice. That's I like that one as well. You yeah. know what? It's like, what do I, I want? Cinnamon today? Cool. That's on the left. You know? Yep. You know, I want. I want. Ginger, so that's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and I don't know. A, I don't know a spice that starts with Z, but I know that's on the right. You know, I mean, you're talking sense here, right? But Liz just walked in and just went fucking boom, just blew the whole thing up, and now I've, I've lost a bit of my OCD. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. It's probably a good thing. Yeah, man. I think uh, after I seen your post, I was like, you know, this makes sense with the dishwasher. I'm gonna start doing this for in the, the cutlery basket, all the knives go in one little thing and so just grab them. It lasted, a, lasted about a week and I was like, this is a really good system, but <laughs> I can't stick to this level of OCD. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, see, this is actually an interesting argument for how like a little bit of organization and effort actually gives you more freedom. Yeah. Or it gives you more time. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I can't do that because like it takes, takes too much time. Like, yeah, but you save time afterwards. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But most people, again, they want that fleeting reward, man. They just want to be able to chuck it in there and forget about it. Whereas I'm thinking like, fuck, I don't want to have to unpack this. You know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I actually had two guys say, this makes so much sense. I've always wondered how to stack a dishwasher properly. And then they changed. <laughs> and weirdly, there was no girls that, that wrote back and were like, yeah, I do this too. It was all dudes that were like, my fucking girlfriend. 
<laughs> so maybe it's a guy's OCD thing with the dishwasher. Maybe that's our realm, and then uh, the mm. girls are just putting them in everywhere. Maybe if if people can, I've got this far in the episode. If you can screenshot right now and comment, tag me and Dean and comment as to whether you have a system for your dishwasher stacking, that would be great, guys, because then we can put this to bed, especially if you're female. Let's see if this theory works out. Is it just a male thing or is it a female <laughs> thing too? <laughs> yep, systemized dishwashers, man. It's the way to be. That's it, man. That's it. Well, mate, that was a good way to end it, you know, a bit of a lighter note, but there's been tons and tons on here, mate. They even stuff that i haven't considered before with like making the foods more palatable in the off season and different ideas on that it's been hugely beneficial so no doubt the guys will um benefit from this just shout out your instagram there dean i know you've got the business one and your own personal one so yeah, shout them out and people can follow so the business one is just flex underscore success um on instagram all of our all of our business stuff goes through there. there's quick links on there if you want to check out consultations and coaching and all that jazz and then mine, I don't even know what mine is, man. Just my name, I think, Dean McKillop. Yeah, um, probably is, I think, yeah. I tried to change it to something cool at one stage on Instagram, but then I realized <laughs> it changed my whole fucking name instead of, like, just a little bit beneath it. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's just Dean McKillop. Okay, I can't, sweet. I can't imagine there's many others of me out there, so. Yeah, and if anyone's struggling to find you, you can just, I, I follow you, so you just type Dean in and they'll, they'll get straight to your profile. And I think I follow both pages as well, so if you're struggling, guys, just... Uh, give us a shout and dean also has a good podcast called the flex success podcast if you do like these and you're running out of things to listen to hit them up and give them a follow they do post out some really good content on there as well guys so get following get tagging guys and if you enjoyed it let us know tag us especially with the dishwasher thing that's going to be the main thing we want to find out after this and uh, yeah guys have a great day thank you dean for coming on and i'll speak to you soon buddy thanks buddy Thanks for listening to The O Show with your host, Oren McCory. If you liked this episode, then please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and share this on your social media. We'll see you on the next episode for more no-nonsense advice to help you supercharge your efforts in the gym, in the kitchen, and most importantly, in your head. See you then.